Today I'm preaching from 1 Samuel 30, verses 26 through 30. Excuse me, 31, that should be. And I want to start just a little earlier to see how David dealt with the 200 at the Brook of Bezer, just to kind of pick that up again to bring us into this, the last portion of this. 1 Samuel 30, beginning with verse 21. Now David came to the 200 men who had been so weary that they could not follow David, whom they had also made to stay at the brook Bezor. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. When David came near the, the, uh, the people, when David came near the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children. They may lead them away and depart. But David said, my brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered into our hand the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter? But as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. So it was from that day forward, he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel to this day. Now, when David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah, to his friends, saying, here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. To those who were in Bethel, those who were in Ramoth of the south, those who were in Jatir, those who were in Aror, those who were in Sifmoth, those who were in Eshtemoa, those who were in Rachal, those who were in the cities of the Jeremielites, those who were in the cities of the Kenites, those who were in Hormah, those who were in Chorazan, those who were in Athak, those who were in Hebron, and to all the places where David himself and his men were accustomed to rove. This week, Queen Elizabeth II of England passed away and her son Charles ascended to the throne. The role of monarchs is something that we in the United States don't think about a whole lot, but uh, this is an occasion where we have been thinking about it. Uh, some of our congregations uh, uh, own their, their king now as a part of, the, uh, of their own uh, citizenship. And as we think about the role of a monarch, uh, we have been, been led to think of what a king ought to be like by looking at Saul and David from 1 Samuel. In this passage, David acts like the king that God has anointed him to be. He has won a victory over the Lord's enemies. And out of the spoils of that victory, he gives gifts to the people of God. 
It's a dramatic point in which David is beginning more and more to act like the king that God had called him to be. And today it gives us an opportunity to connect David to Jesus. I've been doing this throughout my messages on, on 1 Samuel, but this one is a, a thrilling connection and one that I want to, uh, to, to, to pause on and to, to develop more fully the ways in which we can see Jesus Christ in David's life and in his victory here. So I'll begin with David's actions. I want to explain what he did here and then to trace that forward to Jesus Christ. And in doing so, I pray that I will move you to worship Christ for his kingly gifts. To worship Christ for his kingly gifts. So we'll begin with David's actions. David gave gifts from the victory. I did back up just a little bit today because I wanted to, to say again that David set a certain rule that became a, a procedure throughout Israel's life. As is his part who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. If you remember from last week that the dispute was, was raised by uh, those worthless and wicked men that were part of David's company who said that, you know, these guys back guarding the baggage didn't participate in the battle. They have no share in this victory. They shall have no share in the spoil. But David wouldn't allow those wicked men to set the agenda. And there was good reason for that. As I pointed out last week, God had humbled David so that he was renewed in his repentance and was renewed in his faith, renewed in his faithfulness, the way in which he put into practice his understanding of what God was doing. David understood that this victory wasn't his. The victory belonged to, to God. And so the spoils belonged to God as well. Not to him not to his soldiers, not to those who fought, not to those who watched the baggage. It was God's victory. And since it was God's victory, he understood that the dispensing of the spoils was rightly then shared with all of God's people. And applied here to the soldiers, there was a specific application that all of those, whether they fought or supported, they all shared in the spoils of this victory. But it didn't stop there, did it? David also sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah. And I want to, uh, to read again and summarize the elders that are listed here. David said, here is a present for you, a present from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. Here again, David's understanding of where that victory came from and how that influences now what's, what's taking place, that these gifts going. And it lists then the elders that these gifts were sent to. And since they are real locations and real individuals, I want to note them again, to publicly acknowledge, as David did, these elders, those from Bethel, from Ramoth of the south, Jatir 
Aror, Sifmoth, Eshtemoa, Rechal, the cities of the uh, Jeremielites, Kenites, those in Hormah, Korashan, uh, Athak, and Hebron, and to all the places where David himself and his men were accustomed to rove. I list them intentionally, not just because they were real people, but because of David's action of honoring them and giving them these certain gifts. They are revealed here as being elders of these cities or these uh, regions of Judah. And also the text names them as David's friends. That may be a little misleading. Today, if we if you hear about a leader giving gifts to his friends, that smacks of favoritism and corruption, doesn't it? You know, David's got his boys, and they're going to get a cut of what happens when he rules. But that's not what's happening here. In fact, as a, one commentator puts it, it's, it's most likely that David didn't name the elders because they were his friends, but to the contrary, David named them friends because they were the elders of God's people. And that puts a little different perspective on what David is doing here. It puts a perspective of David showing respect to those elders that God had raised up in these areas of Judah. And here is David, who is coming more and more closer into the rule that the Lord had given to him and acknowledging and honoring those that were, uh, were of a, uh, we might call them lesser magistrates. Uh, they are those who would rule in regions that would be under his more sovereign rule over the nation. And there's something very uh, uh, very instructive and very proper about that. The king rules over a nation, but there is a rule that more locally is established, that is honorable, and that is acknowledged, and that is supported by the king that God raises up. There is also an aspect of David acknowledging that this is the region that he comes from and that had, by implication, had given him some support in his humiliation, in his exile. This is the place where David and his men would rove. In other words, the places where he would hide from Saul. You should remember that David is a uh, is from the tribe of Judah, and so there's a, a, natural, uh, a natural support, a support that David didn't always enjoy. There were some that turned against him and even turned him in. But here David, as a, a, a righteous ruler, acknowledges those who have authority. The point is that David didn't act like a selfish tyrant he could have well taken the spoils of victory to himself and in a very selfish fashion kind of consolidated his power 
and consolidated his resources and used all that he gained from that victory to fund his, uh, his coming kingship. Instead, he asks, acts like a humble servant of the Lord, one who was anointed by God to lead, and one who had been given this victory by God. So the spoils belonged to the Lord and were distributed then to God's covenant people as well. I hope you already begin to hear these uh, uh, harmonic tones that fit with the, the, with, the, with the note of Jesus Christ that is struck in the New Testament. It just resonates really throughout this entire narrative. This whole chapter has points that, uh, that our ears attuned to Jesus will pick up. I want to gather them together here in this sermon. I've called your attention to them a little bit, but I want to gather them together. I'll note some that have come before, but I really want you to pay attention to the giving of gifts. So here are some other ways that David points forward to Jesus in this passage. If you look back to verse 6, it says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. We meditated on what that meant and how important it was for David who was humbled by God and was renewed in repentance and in faith. And it says that David responded by strengthening himself in the Lord and then goes on in the strength of God to lead and to serve in, in more faithful, godly ways. Now, Jesus does not need renewal in repentance, but he, doesn't, he does show his attention to the Lord and the strength that he needs to go about the work that God had for him to do. While the phrase strengthening himself in the Lord doesn't appear in regard to Jesus, you find him doing the very things that we noted in David as he came closer and closer to the time of the cross. And so Luke 9, verse 51, describes Jesus setting his face steadfastly towards Jerusalem. He was intent on finishing the work that God had given him to do. And as he set himself to do that, as he went to accomplish that, as he enters into Jerusalem, the, uh, uh, the dialogue that Jesus has with his disciples in the upper room is a fascinating strengthening of himself in the Lord. And there are aspects of Jesus strengthening his, his servants, much like David does with his lesser magistrates. There's much that, that Jesus does in that, but there is also this note of Jesus looking to his father and crying out to him for the strength that was necessary to go to the cross, recognizing the agony and the, and the price that he would pay to redeem us from our sins. So if you look this afternoon, look at John chapter 17. And there it records how, how Jesus, as the Son of God, prays to his Father in heaven. And he prays that, that, that the Father 
would be glorified in the Son and what he was about to do. And that the, that the Father would glorify the Son in the work that he would do. He was strengthening himself in the Lord. And as they went, left the upper room, they went out into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. They went out into the Garden of Gethsemane to, uh, to once more to continue this, this sense of dependence upon God. And Jesus took his disciples with him and invited them to watch and to pray. And he went a little further and he poured out his heart to his father. And he asked, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But in the end, he submitted to the Father with those famous words, not my will, but your will be done. His conclusion was that this was God's will. And so he asked for the Lord's strength to do what the Lord commanded him to do. From this we see from, from David, we can see echoes of the greater work of Jesus Christ as David strengthened himself in the Lord. Secondly, in verses 18 and 19, we, we looked at how David recovered all. We could use the word um, salvation there to uh, also translate that word recover. He recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away is two wives, and there was nothing of theirs that was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything they had taken from them. David recovered all. Now, I've been calling your attention this morning to how the Old Testament illustrates our spiritual deliverance uh, in the language of, of warfare. In the language of, uh, of a victorious king who defeats an enemy and who frees those who belong to him. That's what David does. David follows the command of God to pursue the Amalekites and to deliver everything that had been captured, everything that had been stolen away by the enemy which is what Jesus came to do. He came to recover everything that the Father had placed in his hands. And he came to do battle against a real enemy, an enemy that has, has enslaved mankind since the fall in the Garden of Eden, who has put us into bondage to sin and to death, out of which we have no hope of, uh, of escaping on our own. But Jesus came as a, as a mighty warrior to fight against that enemy and to free us from that captivity. I often, I, I love the words from Colossians 1, so you've heard me see, say these before, that he that being the Father, has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. I just love that language, that the, the, the language of 
battle and of victory that is the victory of Jesus Christ. For Jesus has recovered all that belong to him. You can trace that military language throughout the New Testament as well. I think of Ephesians chapter 6 and the armor of God and the victory of Jesus Christ and all, all of that language that goes into the book of Revelation and the riding forth of a mighty warrior who has a, a sword that he carries and a sword that comes from his mouth and he rides forth to victory over all of his enemies. And he saves, he recovers all that belong to him. That armor, that battle, that victory is none other than the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ over sin and Satan and death. And we get some foreshadowing of that in David's recovering of all. Thirdly, in verses 21 through 22, David gives unmerited gifts. Describes this occasion of going back and the dispute over who got the spoils. And uh, I said last week that, that the people who were at the brook did have a job to do. They didn't fight, but they had a support job. And so there is a, a logical or, or reasonable reason for them to share in the spoils. But in a sense, you, you can kind of uh, uh, sympathize with the argument that they, they didn't contribute much to this victory. But that calls to mind an argument from the lesser to the, to the greater. They did contribute something. Uh, we contribute nothing, nothing to the victory of Jesus Christ. You and I, by our works, can do nothing to defeat Satan. Nothing to deliver us from that dominion of darkness. Without the work of Jesus Christ, we would remain in our chains and remain in our sins and remain under the wrath and curse of God. But... By grace, you have been saved. You receive unmerited treasure from God. You receive his grace in salvation. Back to Ephesians. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Where Paul says to Timothy in Second uh, Timothy 1, God has saved us and called us to a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. David's gifts pale in comparison to the gifts of Jesus Christ, which bring us to meditate more fully on this fourth gift, that, that David's gifts bless the covenant people of God. 
And this is where I'm, I'm, my heart is drawn forward to Jesus. And the way that David dispenses these gifts from the victory of the Lord to his own covenant people. And this most clearly foreshadows Jesus Christ. Back to Ephesians again. I read from chapter 4. Paul uses this dramatic image to describe Jesus. In Ephesians 4, it says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. That's a quote from Psalm 68, and it describes what we might think of as a ticker tape parade. When a, an athletic team wins a national championship, whether it be pro sports or, or lesser or collegiate sports, there is a great celebration. Maybe you've gone to some of those and had the joy of your favorite team winning the crown or the cup. And you've celebrated with a whole city that comes out for that parade. Well, that's kind of the imagery here of a victorious king coming back from the battle. And as he does, he leads along those enemies that he has captured and converted and bringing back those that he has set free that had been enslaved and bringing with him the, the spoils of war that he has won. And in the context of that victory celebration, the king ascends to his throne and he turns and he dispenses gifts on all of his people. It's a glorious scene, isn't it? The joy of that victory that is described and the king ascending to his throne and opening up the bounty of that victory and giving it to all of his people. And this is what David did. David turned and gave gifts from God's hand of the victory that he had won and gave gifts to those that were part of God's people. This is what Christ has done for you. Christ has accomplished redemption. Christ has humbled himself. As Paul describes, he humbles himself and descends from the glory on high that he had as God himself, the second person of the Trinity. He descends to these lower portions of God's creation, of, of earth itself in his incarnation. He humbled himself by becoming man. And he humbled himself by taking upon himself the form of a servant. And he humbled himself by going to the cross itself. And there he had a victory over Satan, a resounding victory that sets you free. And having accomplished redemption, Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended on high as a victorious king, leading captivity captive. The phrase that describes us. For we were those 
who were in captivity. We were those that were in bondage to Satan. We were those that Jesus has freed. And he leads us in this triumphal march. And he turns in his victory and gives gifts to his church. David's victory is is a tiny foreshadowing of the magnificent, glorious victory of Jesus Christ. For Jesus has indeed ascended on high. And to celebrate that victory as the king does on earth, Jesus as king has turned and poured out gifts upon you. What are those gifts? First and foremost, Jesus gives you the gift of salvation. Never forget that. Never forget that it comes from Jesus. You did not gain it. You did not earn it. You did not deserve it. It comes from your Savior, Jesus. And it is a gift that is beyond measure. It is beyond value. There is no way that you will ever come to the end of appreciating the value of your salvation. Your entire eternal existence will be filled with the marvel of the gift of your salvation in Jesus Christ. For he himself, the second person of the Trinity, humbled himself to deliver you from the, uh, from the penalty that you really did deserve, an eternal death. And he has covered your shame taking it away so that it will never be held against you. And he has given you an inheritance that is incorruptible. It will never fade away, and no one will ever steal it from you or steal you from God's hand. He gives you the gift of heaven. And like a ticker tape parade. I pray that you would be caught up in the glory of that gift of Jesus Christ, that you would worship him for this kingly gift that he gives to you. But secondly, as Ephesians describes, as Paul describes there, that Christ gives spiritual gifts to every believers. But here I'll be brief because this deserves so much more. God has designed the church to function like a body with a variety of members and a variety of gifts that come together in a single body. So like a body, Christ has given you each gifts of grace to use for the benefits of the body. And that's what Paul says in Ephesians, and he repeats that in several other places. That all that you have and all that you are come from the Lord's hands, not to be hoarded for yourself, but to be used for the blessing and benefit of those around you and to the glory of your king. 
We so often talk about spiritual gifts as if they were something that distinguish us. And, and I find that I tend to start thinking of them in a way that makes me to be special. I guess there is a byproduct of that. You are special in, in God's eyes. But I pray that you would hear this today and hear the humility and the joy that this brings. David did not advance himself because of what God had given to him, either in the gifts of the victory or in the anointing or the role that he had to play. He plays it faithfully. He gives himself to that because he understands that God had given him this to do. So rejoice in those spiritual gifts that God gives to each and every one of you. Worship the king for his kingly gifts. And since it's part of the passage in Ephesians, I'll just call attention to one other gift. There are other things that we could call attention to, but since it's in the Ephesians passage, I'll say that Christ gives the gift of spiritual leaders to his church. He gives those who are tasked to equip you, the church, to do your part. Think of how Jesus carried himself as a king. He himself came not to be served by all of those who were underneath his feet, but he came to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many. The king humbly stooped to serve his disciples by doing the work of a servant, by washing their feet. And as a victorious and ascended king, Jesus has turned in his victory and given to the church spiritual leaders who would have the same character and the same mission to teach and to equip and to encourage and to guard and to serve rather than be served, to serve you, the church. It is a precious gift that the Lord has given. And I pray that you would worship him for this kingly gift. Like David, Jesus gives these gifts to his covenant people. It's a story that seems too good to be true, doesn't it? Will he really forgive me? A sinner. Has he really laid down his life for me? For you? Yes. Yes, he has. Gloriously, he has. And he offers you, he offers all that are here today that hear this message to receive that gift as a gift alone, not something that you earn or deserve,
but a gracious, unmerited gift of salvation. Worship our Savior for his kingly gifts. Amen. Oh God, we thank you for our deliverance. You have rescued us from the domain of darkness and delivered us into the kingdom of the Son that you love. May you receive honor and power and glory and dominion forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen. We close by singing Psalm 68, and these words have run through our service today. The victory of our King, the gifts he gives to us, the gift of salvation. And so we respond rightfully, sing praise to our God, all the kingdoms of the earth. For God, you are awesome on your throne. You are our God. You give your people strength and power. Oh, let God blessed be. Let's stand and worship our King, Psalm 68F.